You can imagine the lawsuits that would have uh, crippled the meat packers. You can imagine the terrible publicity. Exactly. Who would buy the meat products of a company that grinds up its employees into, into sausage? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I know, right? Like, I was thinking about this the, the other day. It's like, well, people have a reputation to protect. You as a business owner, you want to have the best product possible. And if somebody is like spreading a rumor like, hey, guess what? We grind up Bob over here. <laughs> who works in the factory, I mean, like, there could be an issue, right? Like, I'm just saying, yeah. like, I could be wrong, but, like, that's not a good image for the company, right? Transmitting directly from the launch pad. <laughs> Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off. With Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my ray of truth, the beautiful Miss Riley Lenhart. Hey, hey, hi, Johnny. Hey, how you doing, sweetheart? I am having the day of my life. How are you doing? The day of your life. What does that consist of? Well, lots of coffee, hanging out with my kids. I had a really great talk with my husband. I like that personal connection. And I got to tell you about this, Johnny. Yeah, send it. So I have a friend named Shane, mm-hmm. and he is sending me a libertarian dad bods calendar for 2019. Sounds really uh, Do you good. know what a dad bod is? Uh, I think I might have one. Okay, because <laughs> sure. I love a dad bod. I'm very I got, excited. I got the keg going. A little bit of a mini keg. Not like a full-blown <laughs> keg, but I got definitely like a... Like I'm starting to, you know, I, I don't do, I do like at least one sit up a day. I do half of one when I wake up and the other half when I go to bed. You put your socks on? Yeah, when I get my socks yeah. on too. So maybe like one and a half throughout the day. But I mean, other than that, I I definitely, I, I think I, I think I'm sporting a little bit of a dead bod. I think you should try to get in the calendar next year. Maybe next year I'll be on it. Mr. Johnny Rocket in the uh, dead bod calendar for the Libertarian uh, Party. Woo-hoo. Is it a Libertarian Party thing? <laughs> yeah. Yep, definitely. I have to talk to some people, pull some strings, and then there you go. Raylene, I am just excited as all heck. I know you are. And did you notice I, I, I censored myself, right? I like that. Okay, there we go. So I know, You're I'm talking re- like a dad bod kind of guy. Yeah. Dad bod languaging, too. Exactly. By the way, here's a dad joke. Are you ready for one? <laughs> yeah. All right, did you hear about the uh, population in Ireland? What about them? It's Dublin. Ah. Okay. Anyway, so... <laughs> okay, so you're ready for our guest. I am so ready. Okay, Lawrence W. Reed became president of FEE, Foundation for Economic Education, in 2008 after serving as a chairman of its board of trustees in the 1990s and both writing and speaking for FEE since the late 1970s. Prior to becoming FEE's president, he served 20 years as president of the Mackinac Center for Public Policy in Midland, Michigan. He's an economist, historian, author, and all-around liberty-loving individual. Raylene, prepare for a liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Lawrence W. Reed! Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Mr. Reed, thank you so much for 
for being here on Blast Off. Seriously, we were talking before the show, and I'm like, really? I am so excited about this guest. And you're like, really? And I'm like, yes, this guy's awesome. This dude is awesome. Inspiring speaker. I've watched all your videos on Fee. My God, it is such an honor to have you here, sir. Well, thank you, Johnny and Raylene. It's a great honor to be with you, and that's probably the best introduction I think I've ever had. There you go. <laughs> see, see, I'm good for something. may not be content, but it may be the introductions that people love. So, Mr. Reed, I have I've watched your videos, I've read your interviews, and something I found very interesting was that you have not only been a historian, economist, and all these things, an author, but you have visited numerous countries around the world. Right? Yes. And how is that with your perception of liberty? Like visiting other countries, has your perception of liberty changed at all? It's only strengthened it. In fact, the more I travel, the more I experience uh, uh, real life and in very different cultures, the more convinced I am that liberty uh, is applicable everywhere and that ultimately uh, uh, it, it is the most universal goal, I think, for humankind that we should focus on in an earthly sense anyway there's it just right. it works everywhere the absence of it fails everywhere wow so you've seen like things like poland in 1986 you've been to you you talked about the polish underground in 1986 yes what's your experience with that like you've seen communism firsthand yeah i spent a couple of weeks in 1986 november of that year in poland spending each night in a different home these were all people who were active in some way in the anti-communist underground. And of course, this is 86, so it's almost three years before the big changes and the downfall of communism. And uh, oh my gosh, I think that one trip left a deeper impression on me than perhaps any other I've ever made. Every day, I was meeting with people who were taking great risks, who were publishing underground illegal literature at great risk to themselves, who were broadcasting from illegal radio stations. But, uh, you, you know, you could say, hey, you're up against the evil empire. Right. Yeah, the Army, Navy, and the Air Force of the Soviet Empire. How can you hope to prevail? It didn't matter to them because liberty meant so much to them. Uh, they were going to work for it, whether they could achieve it in their lifetime or not, because they knew it was right. And that was just the most inspirational thing to me I, I think I've ever experienced. Compared to what you saw there at that time, where do you think, uh, let's say, libertarianism and, and even small l libertarianism and ideology, where do you think that is in comparison to the outliers there in Poland? Well, we've made a lot of progress. I mean, when I think back to 1986, I mean, you still had the Soviet Empire, you had the dozens uh, in, in chains uh, under communism. And of course, there still are a few like North Korea and, and Venezuela and, and Cuba. But uh, the world, by and large, with plenty of exceptions, is more open to ideas of liberty than in my lifetime. And I know that may sound strange because those of us who believe in liberty look around and we keep saying, well, we're losing elections, we're you know, losing yeah. the young people, it seems. Right. But progress is always three steps forward, two steps backwards. And I'm as optimistic for the future as I've ever been, even though in the short run, uh, there are plenty of trends in the wrong direction. I love that. I do too. And like, here's the thing, like I've noticed in Brazil, there seems to be a resurgence and people are like digging the Mises Institute in Brazil, especially the Mises Institute Yeah. and the free market ideas of like Murray Rothbard and Hayek and stuff like that. The thing is, I think that's refreshing that there are other countries out there. You would think that it would be like America that would be taking these ideas on about free capitalism or free market capitalism. But why is it Brazil? 
And you know, I, I just think it's fascinating. Like Brazil, of all places, there's all like there's a big push for the Mises Institute and free market ideas. Why do you think this is happening there? Well, and don't forget Fee, my organization. Oh, well, of course, tremendous- Fee. Of course. And would you believe I've got uh, 45,000 Facebook fans uh, from Brazil on my page alone, would you believe? (laughs) Uh, But Brazil is uh, a a special case. They have experienced in the last 20 years one thoroughly corrupt left-wing central planning uh, regime after another Mm -hmm. or presidency after another. And there is a thriving middle class. There is a... um, uh, a, a strong uh, interest in intellectual thought and in ideas, and uh, lots of libertarian organizations that have tremendous influence. And they've just been able to impeach the thoroughly corrupt president about two or three years ago, and that, I think, only emboldened the liberty movement. Brazil is an uh, exciting place. Uh, there, there is uh, a greater activity in growth of liberty organizations there than I think any other country in the world right now. They've experienced socialism uh, firsthand, and they found it to be utterly incompetent and corrupt, spiritually depressing. And uh, fortunately, organizations like FEE, like the Mises Institute, and like a lot of homegrown Brazilian organizations have been planting seeds of ideas of liberty long enough uh, that uh, they're taking root big time in Brazil. I'm very excited. I get more invitations to speak in Brazil than any other place. I was just wow. there two weeks ago yeah. and have uh, two engagements on the calendar to go back in 2019 already. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So I was wondering what you think the biggest threat to our future in liberty right now is in the U.S. What should we be focusing our attention on looking at and combating? You know, I'm a firm believer that uh, character, personal character, really uh, is critical. It's critical to liberty. I don't know of any people in all of history who lost their character and kept their liberty. And by character, I mean things like honesty, responsibility, Mm -hmm. uh, courage, optimism, self-reliance, and intellectual humility, recognizing that as much as you might know, there's a world of knowledge out there you don't know. Uh, and so it's folly to think you can plan an economy. So I, I link a lot of these things related to liberty back to character. And I think the single biggest threat to liberty is the erosion of character. And you see that in, in a lot of different ways. When, when people begin to say, hey, I can get something from the government. I don't care who it comes from. It's quicker and it's easier than having to work for it. That's a sign of an erosion of character. When they stop speaking truth to power, Uh, that's a sign of an erosion of character. When they stop being honest in all their dealings, personally and and, uh, uh, and publicly, that's a sign of an erosion of character. And when they support candidates for office who openly trumpet uh, the policies of theft and legalized plunder, taking from some and giving to others, that's a sign of the erosion of character, too. Yes. I'm with you on this. What I find hilarious is, as a member of the Libertarian Party, and there's a lot, it's really hard to be a Libertarian. And and this is what I mean by this, is Mm -hmm. it's very hard to compete against people who say, you know what, we're going to give you free stuff. Now, we all know, as people who have studied you know, economics, in general, it's hard to compete against people who are saying, you know, we're going to give you free stuff. And us as libertarians are like, we're going to give you your freedom. Is that what you mean by character? Because I think it's very difficult to compete against free. That word free, it's cheaper when it's not free. It it's always entitlement. is. 
it's, it's entitled human, human nature. Exactly. And we're all, you know what human action is. And, and yeah, but when someone's offering it, you're going to take the best deal, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's a sign of, uh, uh, if not an erosion of character for people to accept that idea, at least as a sign that they haven't done the math. Because ultimately, the stuff that's promised us by government as, as free is not free. We're right. all paying for it. And we're exactly. probably paying two or three. Two or three times what it might cost if you were to get it privately and through voluntary persuasion in the marketplace, mm-hmm. then 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 sending your money to Washington to be laundered by the bureaucracy, and, and uh, that then spits back uh, some portion of it. Right. Exactly. That kind of boils back to the idea of you were talking in a interview you had. You were talking about Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, and how most people have to read that as an assignment. In high school and or college, right? Yeah. How is that brainwashing people? I mean, it's not right because I had to read, you know, on Rand's uh, Fountainhead and uh, Atlas Shrugged. I was fortunate enough to have a teacher who let us read that. But like there's a lot of people who believe that there is this collectivist ideas and it's scary. It is really scary. What do you have to say about the jungle? Yeah, by Upton Sinclair. You know, I was raised... Uh, just as presumably you and Raylene were, and so many millions of Americans were, into believing that uh, Upton Sinclair wrote what amounted to a kind of documentary, that he he, he provided evidence that there was uh, uh, the tainting of meat uh, by the meatpackers in Chicago, and that they were even uh, uh, killing their employees in the in the meat plants and, mm-hmm. and grinding them up, serving them in their meat products. <laughs> I heard that from my teacher. <laughs> right. I did. My, te- my teacher told me that. Well, you yeah. know, I actually went back. I wanted to spend considerable time about this about 30 years ago now researching that. I even went back to re- read the uh, congressional record of the day to see what was the nature of the debate over the Meat Inspection Act of 1906. And I was startled to find that many congressmen were saying, why are we talking about regulating uh, meat or or providing for a new regime of meat inspection when we already have it. Why shouldn't we be asking what happened to the meat inspectors that we already had? Were they asleep at the switch? Right. And the more I dug, the more I realized that Sinclair wrote this book, not as a documentary. It was a work of fiction. He spent almost no time in Chicago. Uh, He provided no hard evidence. For instance, you know, the the charge that there were people who fell into the vats and were ground up and, and served as meat products I mean, wouldn't you expect that there were family members who might have said, hey, what happened to Bob? You know, why didn't exactly Jim? Yeah. Well, you go back and you try to find the names of the people who disappeared in the meat bed and you don't find them. And the reason is it never happened. It did not happen. And if it had happened, you can imagine the lawsuits that would have uh, crippled the meat packers. You can imagine the terrible publicity. Exactly. Who would buy the meat products of a company that grinds up its employees into, into sausage. Exactly. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I was thinking about this still the other day. It's like, well, people have a reputation to protect. I mean, if you, you yeah. as a business owner, you want to have the best product possible. And if somebody is like spreading a rumor like, hey, guess what? We grind up Bob over here who works in the factory. I mean, like, there could be an issue, right? Like, I'm just saying, yeah. like, I could be wrong. But like, that's not yeah. a good image for the company, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> whenever, right. But whenever you argue with the liberals, they always say that that's what libertarians want. You want the corporations to take over and kill and murder and everything. And, and oh, you could just poison everybody with this bad soup or whatever you're selling, supposedly, these corporations. And I'm always like, who is going to continue to buy soup and exactly. kill people? Exactly. And, you know, when we when we hear that from critics, that, that we as libertarians uh, believe in that kind of stuff, uh, we often are too defensive. We say, oh, no, we really don't believe that. But instead, we should come right back and say, you know, I'm outraged that you would even make that assumption. I think yeah. you're just you're just trying to avoid the real argument here and, <laughs> and throw, creating a straw man trying to make me look like an idiot as if I really believe that it's a good thing to grind people up and serve them as sausage. I mean, you're advocating you, it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Right. It's just intellectually dishonest. Well, like what I think is fascinating is the idea of like private certification companies, you know, and so instead of having the state come out and, Mm -hmm. you know, inspecting food and stuff like that, have a private certification company that comes out and says, you know what, it's our reputation on the line. Our reputation is important to us. So we're going to inspect the food, make sure everything's good to go. It's our name and our brand on the line. And if we want to have other customers come to us, we have to have a standard. So To me, like the private certification, like underwriters laboratories is a great example. I think that should be used across the board. I don't know what you think about that, sir. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, in other ways, not only do you have organizations like underwriters laboratory, but in other ways, the market serves as a kind of policeman for a lot of this activity. I mean, how many times have you heard of uh, misbehavior uh, by some company on 60 Minutes on television before a politician ever learns of it and does anything about it and and chances are by the time they get around to holding politicized hearings about it the marketplace often has taken care of it and when it doesn't when there is a clear-cut case of fraud or force or violence or deception or uh, adulteration of products or something you have a clear case uh, for somebody to be able to call the cops and and, uh, and and use the court system to make their case prove that they've been harmed and uh, the court system can take care of them, but public the, the very very public uh, image mm-hmm. of a company misbehaving these days is hard to uh, uh, to shake, and every company knows that. Oh, these days that you can just somebody at one installment of a franchise can mess up, and then now the whole company's tainted. That's happened with Denny's and Starbucks, and I mean just. That's real. Uh, social media is the great equalizer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And just the other day, there was a case in Hawaii of uh, at some burger joint, uh, two employees uh, roasted a, a rat on the on their grill. And boy, when word got out, <laughs> when word got out about that, you didn't have to wait for public hearings or any act of Congress to deal with it. Man, that place shut down in no time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And here's the thing, though, that that is kind of a good thing, though. That is the technology of today. Maybe 100 years ago, we didn't have things like Yelp or Facebook or MySpace or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And here's the thing. Like right now, if somebody does something wrong in any restaurant or any business whatsoever, trust me, everyone's going to hear about it if an employee does something wrong. Yeah. Like the whole world will hear about it. Yeah. And it's in the business's best interest to say, you know what? We're really sorry. We'll never do that again. And whoops, you know, and things happen like mistakes happen. But at the same time, we're in this new age of the internet. And is it scary? Yes, it is sometimes. But at the same time, I think it's great because we wouldn't be getting to our ideas of libertarianism 
or free markets out there if we didn't have the internet. It's a great tool. It can be used for destruction and it can be used for positives. I mean, think about the social media. I mean, what you're doing, fee, how I even know about fee is because of the internet, right? Yeah. Would you believe uh, we're now getting something like uh, 10 times the number of applications for summer fee seminars from students uh, than we got as recently as 10 years ago. And it's all because of the internet. Right. We're going right right behind or right around hostile teachers, hostile administrators. Oh, who might, that's and, awesome. And uh, reaching the kids directly. Okay, so libertarians are or should be huge advocates for homeschool, right? So I was at wondering if Fee had any plans to roll out any homeschool programs or materials, and if not, do you think it's possible? A uh, great question, Raylene, because we've identified homeschool families as one of our principles. Mm-hmm. Have uh, created and put online for free seventeen downloadable courses mm-hmm. on everything from the economics of entrepreneurship to booms and busts. And uh, they're open and available for anybody, but we know that the homeschool audience is probably uh, going to be the primary user uh, of those courses. Uh, And we also have a presence at major homeschool conventions. Uh, About a quarter of all the students who come to our seminars come from homeschool families. Some of the best summer interns we get are from homeschool families. We're a big uh, advocate for homeschooling. I think it's, uh, you know, one of the uh, salvations of this country. That's beautiful. And here's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm totally with the homeschooling thing because, you know what? We're never going to get the education we would get from FEE or any of these other schools or thought institutes out there that believe in free market capitalism. And that's the thing. We have to go outside of the box to find it. And that's the problem. I have a great deal of issue with this because most of the kids in school are not even taught economics. And I think the reason is, Mr. Reed, is if they did understand economics, there wouldn't be socialism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And socialism is is what you get when you uh, uh, don't understand that two and two is four that there's a price for everything, that things really aren't free, that somebody pays the cost, and that the long term is uh, critical. Socialism appeals to the short run. We'll get you something now and send somebody else the bill later. Uh, It's just an unsustainable and uh, unworkable, destructive uh, philosophy, but unfortunately that's what the kids get uh, so often in government schools. Why should we expect otherwise? Government is never going to be a good teacher of either liberty or character or free markets. I mean, it's just, it's Mm -hmm. by its very nature, it's it's hostile to those things. Absolutely agree. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off, and I'm here with my ray of truth, the beautiful Miss Raylene Lightheart. Thank you. And we're talking to Larry W. Reed, the president of FEE. You can find him at FEE.org. Is that right? Yes. All right. You can find him at FEE.org. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket, and we're speaking to Larry Reed, and we got Rocket Fire coming up next. So sit back, relax, and we'll be right back. Rock and roll. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Inflammatory. Uncalled for. What about my pension? Outrageously offensive. That's racist. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Rockets two minute hate speech. Hate speech. Johnny Rockets. Anarchist, anti-women. Seriously? Cover your ears. 
This is Johnny Rocket's two-minute hate speech. Sometimes longer. Guys, I have opinions. My God, do I have opinions. As a host of a popular libertarian podcast, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, I am expected to have these opinions. But here's the thing. Absolutely zero of my opinions end in there ought to be a law. Yet here we are, enslaved by laws. So you could talk to your neighbors, speak to them about liberty, line it out in its beautiful simplicity, and watch them say, yeah, but my neighbor, because every one of them to a man can get behind liberty, they swear up and down that they're one of the good guys. And they don't need laws to tell them what is right or what isn't. But when they think about their neighbors, they stop short. What if my neighbor commits aggressions X, Y, and Z? We need the government for them. We need laws to protect us from those guys. But if you talk to that neighbor, they'll say the same goddamn thing. I'm one of the good guys. What about him? Your neighbor doesn't have nukes. The government does. Your neighbor doesn't have the entire military industrial complex at its disposal. The government does. Your neighbor can't force you to give up 50% of your annual salary to support its bullshit pet projects. The government can Your neighbor doesn't have the ability to decide the fate of your life, liberty, or property. Not really. Not in any meaningful way, but guess what? The goddamn government can. So why is it, friends, colleagues, and listeners, that we auto-default to there ought to be a law when discussing the things that piss us off? You know what pisses me off? Vesting an unforgivable amount of power in an entity that has a monopoly on force to make decisions about how we conduct our everyday affairs. If you're going to say there ought to be a law, let's make a law to get rid of that. That, that, that. Little Libertarians is a children's media company for children's ages 0 through 7. Our stories teach the foundational principles that underlie libertarianism and relate them in a manner that even the youngest children can understand and enjoy. Little Libertarians was founded by attorney and libertarian activist Dory Goikman. We teach the basics of self-ownership, non-aggression, and property rights to babies, toddlers, and young kids. Use coupon code ROCKET, R-O-C-K-E-T, for 40% off of Little Libertarian products at www.littlelibertarians.com. Again, that's www.littlelibertarians.com. President of the Foundation of Economic Education, Mr. Larry Reed. Yes. Bam. Mr. Reed, thank you so much for being here on the show. This is awesome. You're like a vat of knowledge. Thank you so much for being here. But anyways, though, what we do here on the second segment, sir, it's called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically or economically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Mr. Reed, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Yes, I am. I am ready. Here we go. Question one. What was the most horrific thing about FDR's New Deal? I would say the seizure of American gold in 1933 when he took 
uh, the dollar effectively off what was still remaining of a gold standard and actually seized gold privately owned by American citizens under penalty of $10,000 fine or 10 years imprisonment. That was, I think, the worst act of uh, his, his time in office. Wow. All right, question two. What is the difference between natural and coercive currency? Well, natural currency, uh, uh, it's not a phrase that I use very often, but I think I know what you mean. Natural currency is one that evolves through choice in the marketplace, where people have said, hey, let's use this. It works. I like it better than what we used to use before. And that's the way, uh, for instance, gold and silver evolved in the marketplace of exchange. People discovered it served well as money. A coerced monetary system or coercive money is when the government comes in and says, we're not going to use what the market chooses because that doesn't give us the ability to inflate and pay government's bills. Uh, we're going to impose a currency mm-hmm. on people and we're going to strip it of any kind of precious metal backing. That's effectively what we have today. Fiat, unbacked, irredeemable, inconvertible, paper money issued by whatever. A coercive currency you ought to be concerned about because by definition, it's not something that people have freely chosen. It's forced upon them. And the reason that it has to be forced is it's not good stuff. Right on. Rock and roll. I agree 100%. Question three. Was Jesus a socialist? <laughs> he was not a socialist. In fact, I'm glad you asked this because I wrote an essay about it. and It's on our website. Uh, Jesus was as far from a socialist as it gets. There's not a scrap of evidence in the New Testament that he ever endorsed the redistribution of wealth by political means, by the use of force. He never endorsed the central planning of an economy. He never endorsed the public ownership of the means of production. None of the stuff that socialism is supposed to be uh, did Jesus ever endorse or even say much about. But when he did speak about economic matters, invariably uh, he supported things like uh, private contract and uh, honesty in our dealings with each other and mm-hmm. self-reliance. Right I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you name it. I, if, if we have time before our program is done, we can talk about uh, more details. But no, I'm a firm believer that uh, he was um, in favor of free and voluntary cooperation. Awesome. Awesome. Question four. What makes a president good or bad? <laughs> If he leaves us alone, uh, (laughs) he's he's a good president. That's why I like presidents like Grover Cleveland and Martin Van Buren, for instance, Calvin Coolidge, Uh because they saw it as their jobs to uphold the Constitution, to keep government from becoming obtrusive and, and costly and destructive of liberty, to provide for the common defense and pretty much otherwise leave us alone. Uh, the bad presidents are the ones who say, hey, I can run your life like Woodrow Wilson or Franklin Roosevelt. Right. They say, mm-hmm. let's have a raft of new programs. We'll figure out later how to pay for them. And whether they work or not, we'll buy votes with them. You know, it's funny. Really quick, I'm going to interrupt Rocket Fire because I can. <laughs> but what would be hilarious is people go, like Martin Van Buren, who's your p- favorite president, Johnny? I go, Martin Van Buren. They go, why? <laughs> and I go, well, do you know what he did? And they go, no. And I go, exactly. That's why he's awesome. <laughs> okay? That's yep. why he's awesome. All right. Question five. What are the advantages and disadvantages of the euro currency system? I guess if there is an advantage, it would be that there is a single currency, which makes it in some ways easier to uh, go from one country to another. 
But you know, we had that when most of those countries of Europe were on the gold standard. Then it was, uh, or some form of it, then pretty much gold or notes that were redeemable in gold were used across countries, and it was very easy. The the downside is is what's uh, very worrisome and, and far more substantial, and that is that by centralizing the issuance of money, you are trusting to a single political authority across all those countries mm-hmm. to get money money right. And uh, there's just no reason in monetary history to trust governments for very long with money. They invariably abuse it. And uh, so it, it, when you command money, you command a, a, a very important high point in the economy and, and therefore people's lives. So you centralize control of anything, whether it be money or the production of any other good uh, in the hands of politicians, uh, it's a very dangerous thing. Dangerous to liberty as well as uh, economic uh, growth. Right on, man. Question six. What do you think the reason the majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck? Well, you know, we've gone through decades of, uh, uh, of inflation. Admittedly, in many years, it's been low single digits. But anytime you induce a a process of e- of erosion of the currency's value, and that the Federal Reserve has been at this now for decades. Over time, people say, "Well, why should I save?" I mean, every year it goes down in value by the the currency or, or right. by savings by two, three, four percent. Some years even more than that. So that's a big reason we we disincentivize by uh, it, it destroying even slowly the value of a currency. Mm-hmm. Right on. How does an increase in the minimum wage affect the economy? You cannot make a person worth a certain amount by making it illegal to pay him any less. Uh, People who advocate for the minimum wage should be asking themselves, is there such a thing as a job or a person who might only be worth, say, $7 an hour? Well, of course there are. Well, what happens when the government says, sorry, it's illegal to pay anything less than, say, 10 or 15? Mm -hmm. Uh, Employers don't say, well, this guy's only worth seven, but I'll be happy to eat the difference and pay him 10 or 15. No, they just say, I can't afford to hire him. So the higher you raise the minimum wage, the more unemployment you cause. And ironically, you cause the unemployment not among the high-skilled uh, elements of, of the workforce, but rather the low-skilled Right. Sector. The, the very people that the minimum wage is supposed to help are the ones who get hurt the most. I agree 100%. Question eight. Why do women, all right, you're going to like this question. Question eight. <laughs> why do women spend thousands of dollars on a dress for their wedding? They wear only once, but often men rent a tux that they have opportunities to wear multiple times. Oh my gosh. That's a, you want me to wade into that? <laughs> yeah. I love this question because I don't know the answer. <laughs> well, let me let me be the Austrian economist that I am for a moment and say that value is subjective. <laughs> and, by, and, by the, <laughs> and by that, of course, I mean that, hey, uh, value is in the eye of the beholder. And you and I might not uh, place that kind of value on a, on a dress, but uh, another person may. And that's entirely up to them, especially if it's their own money. Yeah, and maybe their dad's. <laughs> I know. I'm going to actually ask Raylene this question when we're done with this. Yeah, let's ask Raylene. (laughs) Why do gas stations across the street have different prices? I want to know this because 
To me, it doesn't make any sense. You have like Shell, they're like $2.52 a gallon. And over here at Arco, it's like two sixty nine. Why doesn't everyone just go to Shell? <laughs> well, you know, if the difference is substantial enough, that's exactly what will happen. You know, there's no central planner who tells gas stations, this must be your price for gas. Thank God there aren't any. Uh, such central planners. So yeah, every business says, look, I'm going to try to get the most that I can. And I'm hoping that some customers will say, you know, I'm, I'm coming from this direction. So this station, even though it's a few cents more, is a little easier for me to get into. Sure. I, I'll, I'll happily pay a few cents more. Why should we expect different gas stations, even if they're close by, to all be the same in, in what they offer or the price at which they offer it? Uh, so there always are going to be some differences. And we as consumers can decide you know what what the best choice is given all the factors in our head including the the location our proximity and all the other features that a gas station may offer some of them are uh, you know a better looking gas station that's got more stuff that people want inside uh, can probably get away with charging a few cents more on the gas because people say I'm getting more for the total package so right. any number any number of reasons why that might be the case all right, question 10. Do you believe social media has become the arm of the state? I don't think it has become the arm of the state yet, but I I, I guess I am concerned about uh, future possible government uh, involvement in or intrusion over uh, social media space. But ultimately, this is something that each of us as consumers need to be wary about, think about, and not allow to rule our lives. I mean, I have to confess, I'm a little bit addicted uh, to Facebook. Uh, I use Twitter a little bit. I use LinkedIn. Uh, but I don't let many days go by when I don't post at least five or six times on Facebook. But I never forget that the moment that either Facebook or government that, that might intrude on th- uh, that private firm does anything that, that I don't like, I'm going to be quick to say, I'm out of here. Right on. How do we spread the ideas of liberty? Is it through economics, politics, media? And which one do you think is the most effective? I certainly think it's all of those things. And which one you use depends on a number of factors. One is, what audience do you want to reach? Uh, if you want to reach, say, young people, that's the demographic that we, we focus on at FEE, high school and college students in particular, I think you've got to have a heavy social media uh, presence. You've got to uh, have a, a very attractive website. You've got to have good, short, uh, pithy videos uh, to offer. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about an older audience, it, you know, it's different media, different strategies. Uh, the younger the audience, the more you want to use storytelling to make your point. Um, economics by itself, I don't think will do the job because people are interested in other things too, like uh, morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, at at fee, we not only, not only make the case for liberty by talking about how free economies work, but we also point out that morally speaking, you should be concerned about the erosion of a free economy because uh, when government gets in charge and starts telling people what to do, uh, it's it sets society up for some pretty immoral and nasty uh, consequences. So, uh, and liberty, I think, is uh, uh, evidence of of profoundly important uh, morality, respect for the life and property of other people. Uh, That's central to liberty. So that's a moral argument, not just uh, an economic argument. Right on, and that's Rocket Fire! Give it up for Mr. Larry Reed! Nice job. Hey, thank you. Good question. Anyways, this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas in your direction. I'm here with my Ray Truth, Miss 
Raylene Lightheart. Thank you, thank you. Anyways, now we're talking to Larry Reed, and we're going to be right back after this quick commercial break. Rock and roll. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. LAVA stands for Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then the LAVA Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow Podcast, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. TheLavaFlow.com So uh, what we were talking about earlier is we did rocket fire, and I wanted to come back to question number eight, and this is for Raylene. All right, so this has been bugging us. At our commercial break, we were discussing the ideas of question eight, because question eight was a question that maybe Raylene would have the answers for. Raylene, here we go. Question eight. Why do women spend thousands of dollars on a wedding dress they wear only once, right? Mm -hmm. But often men rent a tux that will have many opportunities to wear again. So, number one, men think uh, in a more utilitarian way, as mm-hmm. 
than women. Okay. And I will just say that that is of obviously a generalization, but I'm a woman and we would probably be able to be honest about that. Not all women and not all men. Uh, second, women want to, on their wedding day, there is something about the majority women. I was not really like this, but I, I think I bought into it a little bit when I was a little kid. Your wedding is your special day. It's the day that, don't forget, in the old classic, that's when you lose your virginity. Uh-huh. That's you get married, supposedly. So it's this very special sure. event. That's the only day that it's all about her. Not right? anymore. So she's this been, isn't no, not, this isn't normal now. You're you're not wrong. Um and now, but, but <laughs> okay. I also think that women are too influenced by fashion and other people. I think that as I mean I'm going to say some things that are piss people off. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Ground control to Johnny Rocket. Well, the ship's alarm system has been tripped due to Raylene starting to piss people off. This is, of course, not only permitted by official blast-off policy, but is typically encouraged. Our policy statement on the matter actually reads, We here at Blast-Off say, you, all you little pansy if you can't take it, so why don't you just go do some yoga and shut up? However, due to Johnny's recent hate speeches, and in light of new Canadian speech regulations, I have been forced to interrupt the show and provide a trigger warning for our Canadian listeners. So hold on, let me cue it up. Okay, here it is. The following contains strong language and nudity. It is intended only for mature audiences. Viewer discretion advised. Alright, so now we can let Raylene continue. Damn Canadians. Women are known as more of the support sex. Traditional marriage and how... how uh, women are naturally raised to or are naturally, I don't really know the, if it's nurture or nature, but they are pleasers. Okay. And so they care about what other people think a lot. They need a consensus from their mom friends to make sure everything's normal. Their mom friends. You know, okay. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a thing. So it's I think thing. that women okay. care a lot about what people think. They want those pictures. Yep. They want the pictures so they can dress up one time in their life and then put it up in the attic and the dude's smart enough to buy a tux because he's like, okay, I'm never wearing this again. A man that buys a tux is a man that I want to hang out with. Okay. Mr. Guy- Reed, Mr. Reed, do you own a tux? I'm so glad you asked Raylene that. Actually, I do, but I don't know if I can still fit in it. Okay. <laughs> so you bought one. Okay. Long, long time ago. Okay. It's in the closet. Closet somewhere. It's probably you're a married guy, so it's probably up there with your wife's dress, wedding dress, right? Actually, no, I'm not a married guy. Okay, I thought you were. Okay, okay, all right, Raylene, I'm shutting up now because apparently I screwed that question up. I didn't know enough about Mr. Reed. Good. I, I actually, I have a question. Um, okay, this is a, this is an important question actually because I was doing some research because I know all about fee. I read fee. I watch your videos. I, I do all that kind of stuff. But I was wondering. I'm like, what are the critics out there saying? And oh my gosh, what a load of part of my language. <laughs> so the, the okay, so the criticisms of fee, and I quote, spouting libertarian insanity end quote, include accusations of racism, sexism, suggesting that protesting is violence. Um, Looking at these accusations in context myself and looking at the quotes that they provided, it showed a lack of critical thinking and understanding statistics. And I I think they kind of came in at an angle, but I wanted to give you a chance to address these accusations personally. I actually don't see many uh, such accusations, but anybody who might charge that we're racist or sexist Uh, has not read our material because we are advocates for liberty and there is no more non-discriminatory pro-individual philosophy in the world 
than libertarianism. It, it urges right from the get-go that we judge every individual as rare, or, or not just rare, unique and precious and uh, by the content of their character. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another political philosophy that is more open, more welcoming uh, to people than the philosophy of liberty, which we represented Fee. I totally agree. And, and let me just point out for those listening that Fee was started in 1946. Is that right? That's right. Okay, I thought so. So if it's started in 1946 and all they could provide were at most five sentences, which when I read them, I was obvious it was not racist or anything like that, but five sentences that could be tried to shown in a negative light since 1946, when we know that racism was a lot more prevalent, that's all they had. And and I obviously it's ridiculous. It it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I don't think they they don't know anything about fee, or they wouldn't say that. Uh, it, but this is this is uh, the the stock uh, accusation or accusations that come from uh, the status left. That's right. If, if if they think of you as free a free market or pro capitalist, then all of a sudden you're just by definition sexist, racist. I mean, fill in the blank. You know the epithets. Right. It was some reaching stuff. Yes. It was some reaching things. Mm-hmm. Raylene, here's the thing though. Like, and, and the same thing was done with the Mises Institute as well as Fee. Like the Mises Institute and Fee both are considered hate groups by the progressive left because why? <laughs> it's free market ideas. We were in Seattle and there was a, a Yelp review about the Mises Institute or we were having our convention there and they were like it's a hate group i'm like okay i guess i'm a hater then because i love everyone and it's ridiculous that's always a sign that they're not thinking of course they're just they're just throwing out epithets and uh, don't know the first thing of what they're talking about okay mr reed i have a question for you i i just moved to arizona and i from washington and i love it here it's pretty cool it's pretty cool state thus far all right but you have showed a great fondness in the past for barry goldwater and you had written some articles about him. And was there anything he did or supported that you didn't agree with? Because this is the Barry Goldwater state. And guess what? I really liked Barry Goldwater and I liked a lot of things he had said. But I was just wondering if there were some things that you're like, mm, I liked everything but this. Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. That's a good one. When it came to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, I know he, he opposed it. And he did so on uh, for for good and reasonable uh, reasons. Right. Uh, the, his uh, perception of the constitutionality of it, what it would do to the uh, our system of federalism. Uh, I might have been on the other side of the question uh, from him on that issue because I don't think government should ever discriminate. And the focus of that law, uh, subsequent laws, are, uh, somewhat different, but the focus of that. Landmark legislation was to strip away uh, legal forms of government discrimination in law, like like the old Jim Crow laws. Right. I think on on balance that might have been something uh, I could have supported, even though he opposed it. But he had good reason. So it was, it was you know, he, and he didn't have a racist bone in his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really judged people uh, by the content of their character. You know, this famous story of the time he went into a golf club. Uh, that uh, would not allow Jewish people to play. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, of course, Barry Goldwater's father was Jewish. His mother was uh, Episcopalian. So he went up to the desk and he said, well, I know you don't let Jews play here. My father was Jewish, but my mother was Episcopalian. Can I play nine holes? <laughs> I know. I love <laughs> it. I love it. That's awesome. And that was, yeah, I mean, that was his way of, of, of using humor to make a 
very strong point that these uh, discriminatory policies could, could were indefensible. I love it. I love it. In 2008, you became Fee's 10th president. And that right when that was happening, uh, they were changing its mission to focus on newcomers to the idea of liberty. So what I wanted to ask you today was, did they change that focus because you came on? Did they bring you on because of the focus they wanted to change? And then why did you go that direction? Oh, uh, well, uh, the chronology is slightly off, uh, Raylene. Okay. At, the time, at the time I became president, we didn't have that particular focus we were still sort of all over the place yeah and then uh after you know the first couple of years were tough because of the recession so i was scrambling to keep the place uh, open and and improve the programs we had but by the third year we started focusing on uh rethinking our targeted audience our mission okay. uh, and and even before we conducted surveys and and gave it a lot of thought uh, I had a strong feeling that uh, young newcomers to liberty would probably be our niche, and that's what the evidence showed. So mm-hmm. as a staff and a board, by about 2011 or 2012, we had decided that's our audience, that's the most underserved portion of the population, and if you can get them young, uh, you, you have made an investment in a life that will pay dividends for maybe 50, 60, 70 years. Beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. So, okay, wrapping the show up, what is the modern parallel between Rome and where we are now? Because you've written on this subject before, and there's actually a book you could find online. You've written, as far as I could tell, six books that are available at Amazon.com. But what, what is the parallel between Rome and now? Well, you know, Roman history uh, encompasses a thousand years. And I think the most interesting parallels uh, with America of today uh, come in the first 500 years of Rome when mm-hmm. it was a republic a republic. because after that, the, the second 500 years, it had descended into uh, a despotism and uh, the period of the empire where you had a dictator but the first 500 years the period of the republic there are a lot of parallels such as you know, like America, Rome rose to greatness largely through things like uh, respect for work for uh, uh, property, for the rule of law. They kept government limited. Uh, they set up a system whereby the people at the top uh, were term limited. They were uh, their, their powers were reined in by uh, an unwritten but very powerful constitution. Uh, early Rome looks like early America. And the parallels are even um, more interesting and in some ways ominous when you look at the decline of the republic. When the Roman people, after several hundred years of being pretty faithful to those principles, they decided, hey, you know, we can use government for more than just a defender of our rights and a protector of our liberties. Let's use it as a fountain of free goodies. Let's get something from it. Let's vote ourselves benefits. Wow. And that that was the beginning of the Roman welfare state. And every welfare state always faces the same problem. Once you start down that path, uh, how do you how do you say no to everybody who says, "Hey, wait a minute, I want to get something uh, too"? And before right. long, everybody's standing in a big circle, and each guy has his hands in the next guy's pocket. It becomes unsustainable, unaffordable. It results in the concentration of power and money in the hands of politicians, and sooner or later, for their own corrupt purposes, uh, they toss your liberties out the window. And that's that's the path that America has to seriously consider. Uh, you know, how far down that path are we and how far do we want to go? No, I'm with you. And I, I just find it hilarious that we could see these things happening now, like the ideas of limited government, freedom, liberty, 
all these ideas are now being succumbed by socialism. Yeah. Socialist ideas, big government, government controlling every part in every aspect of our lives. And guess what? It's happened so slowly that nobody bats an eye. It's happening so slowly. It's like water eroding a rock. You can see that rock when you were born, and then when you come back to it, you're like, uh, is that the same rock? And you don't even notice yeah. it because it just happens. I think it's crazy. I think people have lost their perspective. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off. I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Really Lightheart. Thanks, guys. Anyway, so we're talking to Mr. Larry Reed. Uh, Mr. Reed, can you stick around for about 10, 15 more minutes? Because we have some questions from our listeners. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So what we're going to do here is we're going to put you on blast. If you guys are not a patron of our show, please go to supportblastoff.com. Again, that's supportblastoff.com. For a mere dollar an episode, you can hear the rest of this interview. It is awesome. Larry Reed is here, the president of the Foundation for Economic Education. So give it up for Mr. Larry Reed. Raylene, prepare for a landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seat belts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Mr. Reed, give us your dot coms. It's lawrencewreed.com. If you like my personal site, if you want to go to the organizational website, it's fee, F-E-E, dot org. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at supportblastoff.com. Anyway, so we'll see you next week. Rock and roll.